Welcome to the Adversity Psychologist Podcast, a podcast incorporating narratives about facing and navigating adversity, a mixture of people, their experiences, and professional psychological discussion. I'm Dr. Tara Quintarillo. I'm a qualified and regulated psychologist with over 20 years' experience of mental health, disability, and human behavior. I want to share people's stories of navigating adversity in the hope that through being heard, a dose of compassion and some understanding, we can help others in the face of adversity too. Hi everybody and welcome to this episode of the Adversity Psychologist podcast. I'm Dr. Tara Quinn Chirillo and today I'm delighted to have with me Sam Filligan, who is the CEO and project lead for PIP UK. Um, I'm going to hand over to her to explain a little bit about who she is, what she does and then the, the idea behind the name for PIP UK as well, which I really love. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's really lovely to talk to you today. Um, So yeah, I'm Sam Fillingham. I'm CEO of PIP UK. We are the UK's only Poland syndrome charity. And so we support people of all ages affected by the rare limb difference, which is Poland syndrome. It's a syndrome that my son has. um, And that feeds into why we are called PIP UK. um, Because the name originates from the family nickname for my son when he was in my tummy. Um, and he is the inspiration and, you know, the passion for me behind everything that we do at PIP UK. What a lovely story. I only found that out this morning, didn't I? Um, and I came across you via Twitter mm. and I didn't know what Poland syndrome was. Um, and a friend suggested that I get you on my podcast to find out more and share that. So would you mind telling us a little bit about what is Poland syndrome? Let's help our audience learn a little bit more about that. Absolutely. So I love explaining to people about it because it is so rare and not many people know about it. Like you just said, that's the most common response is, oh, I've never heard of that. So it's great to just share about it. So it's, as I said, a rare limb difference. It's considered a congenital anomaly by the medical world in that it's just something that happens. We're not really sure why. Um, The most common theory about why it might occur is that there's an interruption to blood flow in uterus. um, And that's the time when the limb, upper limb is developing. And basically there's an interruption there that might perhaps cause it. But there's so little research, we're not sure. So the main symptoms to help people understand um, are that you will be born with a missing or underdeveloped pectoral muscle in your chest and or um, a missing or underdeveloped hand as well, all on one side of the body. Um, so those are the simplest symptoms to explain. Because it's a syndrome, Syndrome, there is a whole range of symptoms, including missing ribs, underdeveloped organs, um, heart can be on the wrong side of the body, Um, and just general difference in size and strength on the one side of the body. Because that's what I was interested in as well. So this is a condition that you will see developing before adulthood, is that right? Absolutely, yeah. So you're born with it. So, um, you know, if you are born without your pectoral muscle, it will never develop. It's just not there. So um, it doesn't develop it just that your body develops as you grow and that affects when the diagnosis comes in a lot of instances as well um if you have a hand difference um like my son he was born with um some of his fingers joined together on his left hand his hands like visibly smaller the fingers are not straight 
Um, so that's quite easy to pick up and you get quite an early diagnosis when your hand's affected. Um, but um, if your chest is only affected, then that's much harder to pick up at the moment. It's not being recognised easily. Um, you know, a baby's a little, they can be a bit chubbier, can't they? You don't really look at their yes. chest too yes. much. Um, and even as you grow, it might not become obvious until um, puberty, really, that there is a, a muscle missing there. So um, that's why do- diagnosis can be really difficult um, for a lot of people in that instance. Well, I've been doing some, like I do with most things, some reading up on this. And that's one of the things that I've come across. So as you say, it is something you have from birth, but the presentation might not be picked up on. So it is interesting that if there's a certain combination of things, it's easier for people to diagnose. But there may be people then who have this syndrome, but haven't had a diagnosis or don't know. So is it all right to come on then? What might some of the kind of challenges be? What might the impact be? I know it's not something you can say in a nutshell but just to kind of help our listeners to help raise awareness for people with this condition sure absolutely so um for ladies with pollen syndrome it's really important for people to know that um, they will only develop one breast right so, yeah uh, the impact for that upon women is obviously yes. incredibly difficult in the world that we live in um yeah. the impact on clothes daily life and um, particularly when they start developing breasts in the teenage years Um, you know mentally it's very difficult to live in this world that expects symmetrical chest and you don't have one Um, and medically it's very difficult because um, it's not very recognized when even if it's diagnosed so you might have a diagnosis um, as a lady and you you know they know that your chest is affected but um, you then fall into a bit of a gray area of how they should treat that Um, And unfortunately, a lot of the time you sort of get treated as a cosmetic procedure um, when clearly it's not a cosmetic issue. It's, you know, something that you're born with, something that you need support with. And, you know, you need to go to breast clinics and have ways to deal with it that aren't always a surgically cosmetic procedure. Um, So that's one of the the big challenges. Um, If you're hand affected, then obviously, you know, your daily life is affected by having um, either missing fingers or underdeveloped fingers. Um, George's hand, my son, is is a really mild case in that his hand's just smaller. He has all the bones and everything in there, so he's got full use of it. Um, So he's really lucky in that sense and he can grab things. He's got his pincer grip. Um, but as he's grown everything gets bigger and his hand's smaller so there are still things that he can't fully grasp in that hand Um, you know the more severe cases of hand differences are in our community you might not have any fingers or a hand so you know you're living with that full um, difference there of, of, of one hand or one not very well functioning hand um, and all the challenges that come with that on a day-to-day basis buttons shoes lifting carrying as you can imagine. That's the thing that's struck me, that there isn't one set of difficulties. It very much depends on the presentation, which, as you said, can vary. Um, and I'm thinking as well, there's kind of, you know, the f- physical impact of having a disability, like you say, being able to pick things up, being able to do fine motor movements, that kind of thing. But there's also the psychological then as well. And that interests me, you know, what is it like adjusting 
to that, to navigating life. But also when you were talking about women as well, you know, kind of self-esteem, self-worth. And I was so interested in what you just said as well about that it's not just about dealing with the cosmetic side. Is you know, and, and if we come a little bit more to kind of the, the work that you do in your organisation, if somebody has been diagnosed with this and is trying to kind of get their head around it, look at what kind of support is out there or what kind of support do people need even if it's not out there yet yeah so when you get a diagnosis it's really important to find your people that have the same diagnosis so I mean the first thing to do is so important is to reach out to us because we can provide you with either one-to-one support if you need it we have a program of well-being courses for all ages throughout the year that people can tap into that's free to use yes yeah Um, and then we have a lot of peer support as well so we have online peer support groups we have a number of events throughout the year um and it's just so so important to for people to know that they're not traveling this road alone as soon as they've got that diagnosis they have an answer for something that they knew about they have a name for it and then the next very important thing is to know that they are not the only person in the world with it here's a community of people that have lived with it and there is so much commonality in your mental experience of this condition and when you find the people that have been through that same experience it's such a relief to people it's you know so so important because many of them um you know a lot of ladies have hidden their bodies their entire lives with this condition um, because they've not had to tell anyone so they just hid it they might not have even talked to their parents about it And then it's so important to start supporting them through that process of, you know, there there can be a different way and, you know, you deserve to live happily and with joy and with at peace with your body. And we just try and help people to do that, really. There's so many different types of support, but there is, you can't beat, can you, talking to somebody with a lived experience as well, you know, that connection, somebody who just gets it and it, you know just it's just difficult to hear isn't it people that may have been hiding their bodies and and you know is there shame attached sometimes to having certain yeah. physical difficulties and it's interesting as well you said that actually sometimes people might even hide that from their loved ones from their families yeah. it's really common really common yeah. and as we we do more work in the well-being space. We've got um, a, a wonderful chair of the charity who's training to be a psychotherapist and is helping us with this well-being programme. And what's coming out of it this year is that there's a lot of misattunement in people. So um, they are very unconnected to their Poland syndrome and their you know, physical and mental understanding of that. You'll probably be able to explain that better. But in instances where it's been ignored by a parent or they never spoke to someone about it, um, there's just that misattunement of you're not really fully tuned in to how you feel about your body and what it means for you. Um, And so, yeah, there's a lot of like shame and things around that misattunement. And I'm just thinking, you know, psychologically, when people want to be navigating lives, careers, relationships, hobbies, interests, Mm. how much of that may then get put aside if there is that shame, that embarrassment. Obviously, in terms of your organisation, the scope 
are you finding you know how do you meet demand because it is a, a kind of it's not a new syndrome but it's newly out there isn't it and I know recently um somebody who's quite high profile did share that they had this condition and that was Magos um and it's kind of created more awareness of the condition but also of the work of PIP UK as well and how have, how have you found that what are you what are you dealing with at the moment so it's been a really interesting time because for the first time in the 12 years that I've been working on this um people in the street who I talk to about Poland syndrome now in a lot of instances, will recognise what it is. And right. you see that, oh, I've heard of that. Oh, was it, was someone on Strictly? And, you know, or, you know, exactly. they'll know instantly if they're into Matt Goss. Um, so that's a very new experience for me and for the community, for people to know that, because that is literally the first time anything like that has happened. You know, anyone in the current public eye has really talked about it. So from an awareness point of view, it's been amazing. Um, it did and is still causing a real volume of work that we weren't prepared for or, you know, ready for as an organisation. So, you know, it is a rare disease, so the numbers are fairly low. We think probably about 2,000 people in the UK. Um, But all of a sudden, with it being on mainstream television, the amount of people that got in touch and hadn't had a diagnosis yet was sort of, off off the charts for us you know we'd gone from one to two inquiries a week about diagnosis to 15 to 20 Um, and I know that doesn't sound like massive numbers but you know it's a one person employee organization with many wonderful volunteers around the edges but um you know we didn't have the structure to cope with that volume and and we still don't to a degree um, to a big degree so we're kind of just navigating that a little now um, and working out sort of the boundaries of the resources that we have more than anything um, yeah. so, so it's so interesting isn't it that all of this time just that concept of people maybe not knowing they had I'm wondering whether it's right to ask whether you've had a mix of people that might not have known well, that's what I have and I need diagnosis but whether there are people who may have known but hadn't spoken out and I'm just wondering whether you're getting both of those demographics reaching out to you yeah a little bit of both um majority of people that have reached out have known that there was something but didn't know that there was a name for the something that they were born with um and when it's been you know physically described to them as a result of this coverage in the newspapers or on tv they've just had a real aha moment of oh my gosh that's what I have um and then you know want to know how to get a diagnosis at the very least to confirm that so if somebody kind of we like to talk in psychology kind of referral pathway somebody that reaches out for you because I'm thinking that there may be people listening to this who say well this is me and I haven't got a diagnosis or haven't heard of this before or people that may be supporting someone or living with someone or they suspect is could be quite a big thing to reach out to an organization especially if it's something you've sat on for a while would it be useful to kind of talk a little bit about what they you know what they might expect if they're to contact you and how they you know do they do it on the phone through email because sometimes breaking down those barriers I find as a psychologist can really help people if they know what to expect absolutely yeah I completely agree so when my son was born and there wasn't anything out there um yes I also thought at that time I could never have picked up the phone to anyone anyway you know it was just 
a time period of new baby diagnosis, what's going to happen next, that um, I really wanted a website and an email because that to me was what was easy for me to do. So, um, you know, I would say to them, first of all, that that's really common to feel like that. And all the families that I speak to and the people I speak to feel exactly like that. So just, you know, use the way that's comfortable to you at the time that's right. You can phone us. We have a phone number. We have an email address. You can do a contact form through the website or you can message us on social media as well. So we try to just make it sort of really open and as comfortable as possible in the communication channels so people can do it in the way that's right for them. You know, some people will just text me simply for support and that's okay if that's what you're ready for. We we really sort of pride ourselves on meeting people where they are in this journey and just, you know, letting them know what we know from our years of working with the community and, and what's available for them when they're ready to take that next step of, you know, peer support or wellbeing programs or even just coming to one of our fun days, you know, and just being in the room with people with the same condition. You don't have to talk yes. about it. You can just be around them and know and see their hands and, you know, that that kind of thing is is so so powerful so hopefully there's something for everyone in there really eclectic as you say everyone's different you know some people like to be on the phone some people don't and I'm guessing just you know one of the things from the back of the pandemic is that it's really helped us to find out different more creative ways of contacting people staying in touch maybe you know I, I like to use that word fit what works for me you know some people like a phone don't they but other people find that more difficult they want a, a way to reach out where I'm, I'm just thinking all the things you've explained so far that people may be experiencing you know physically psychologically all that history that how nice to have the first port of call is that you've got autonomy over how and when you contact you um, and you know what I really liked as well is that sometimes we can dive straight into problem solving when it comes to kind of life events and conditions is um, something really struck me then that actually people might not need to go straight into you know well-being stuff or courses they might just want to just be around people and when you mentioned about the fun day it seems like there's a really multi-layered I'm going to use that word kind of approach that you have that this is about connecting with other people that have Poland syndrome and and within that is being around people educating maybe more support around kind of signposting but also that there's more formal things as well as and when you need it but there's no kind of format for how you do that and I just think how refreshing that must be for Mm. people yeah it's really important to me as like an individual as well because I try and think of you know way back when I needed it and and I really pride myself on listening to the community in every interaction of yes. what they want and need from it. So it's not just, oh, what did I need then? It's like, I, you know, I deal with, with adults with it all the time now. And I'm just really always listening and taking note of what they want and need next and building that into all the next phases. And, you know, yeah. I'm really lucky that all the volunteers are 100% lived experience. So that really helps me keep the whole organisation in that bubble of what do the community want and need, which is just absolute key to um, making this the magic that is like this kind of charity happen, really. It really is. I like that word magic because I'm just thinking, you know, to, to really be heard 
someone to take that time to listen to you, to hear you. And for some people, as you say, that, that you have the privilege of getting to know, may have never spoken about this with anybody. And it can be a big step. It can be quite vulnerable, can't it, to oh, share absolutely. something, to find out more. And sometimes mm. naturally our brain has a lot of questions. What if? What could it mean? Will I be judged? So to be able to be met with what sounds like a really compassionate mm. approach, I imagine, is very nice for people do you get feedback from people about what they find useful about your organization so again somebody listening now who might either have or know someone with Poland syndrome that what are you finding people find useful about that approach um yeah just the having space to finally realize you're not alone is really mm-hmm. important that's like a yeah. key part of the feedback um and then the connection with others so you know one of like the magical things that always happens at our event is that however different your hand is however it arrived to you you will always find someone with a similar hand at one of the events amazing just like the most magical moment ever when you see someone spot that and you know we've very fortunate now to have a children's clinic at Birmingham Children's Hospital it only started 12 months ago and it's not funded or guaranteed in any way but we have it and the first um clinic that we had there I'll just never forget the moment of two little girls that were three and they spotted each other across the room and they held their hand up to each other and their hands were so so similar and that you know moments like that and feedback from those families are the real magic of you know compared to like our eldest diagnosis at 84 years of age there's going to be children now growing up who hopefully it will be impossible to be alone with it because you're going to be at a clinic of other children with the condition so you know the difference that is going to make over generations is um yeah amazing and the feedback from the community is that that resource and that opportunity is like everything they've wanted and needed for a long time it's quite remarkable isn't it so I know this is an audio podcast but I'm just thinking how powerful well there's two images there for me that the eldest you've had with a diagnosis is in their 80s and just those two three-year-old little girls I'm just thinking tiny hands I'm a parent connecting in that way that kind of maybe got goosebumps there for a second just that is almost too much to explain isn't it what you've done to to get those people to that moment and actually something that just came to mind for me is you know thank you for sharing your personal experiences which is obviously what's behind your organization as well but I'm just thinking that there may be people listening who are parents of children or adult children even and kind of what that might mean to know other parents and to connect your children in that way. Yeah, I mean, that is just everything to be connecting the children. But you know what's even more key, and I didn't really foresee this over the years, is connecting those parents with the adults that have grown up and gone through the challenges that the kids will go through and and how important that is. So, um, yeah, it's amazing to meet other parents because then, you you know, you've got that common experience and you can sort of offload, you know, people's birth and diagnosis stories are really tricky and difficult for parents. So to get in a room of people that have all had similar experiences is really powerful. But then after diagnosis, what really becomes key is seeing an adult with the condition 
condition and being able to ask them like but how did you buy a bra and what was dating like yes. what was high school like and you know that is really really key um, and we've just started to bring an adult volunteer into the clinic with us as well now and um, one of our young ambassadors Becca has started coming and volunteering at the clinics and she's only been to one so far but it was so powerful to see the families connecting with her in there like just yes. you know, a million times better than just talking to me. And so it's, again it comes back to that kind of I'm using the word kind of multi-layered yeah that- it just seems, I know I'm going to take that away with me from today. I like to take something away from every guest, but that word magic, mm. that there's just something then that just works because there's so many offshoots to what you do, so many layers. It's so well thought through, that's all right to say, but it also seems very easy from the point of access for someone who wants to kind of get in touch as well, making it very simple. I had a little look around your website as well, and it's very easy to navigate. And I'm all about trying to, you know, take down barriers to access to things. And sometimes just having something easy that already makes you feel at ease and welcomed. And and, and I guess the, the point of having you on the podcast is to raise awareness, but also I think to try and highlight what that user journey might be like for people, people that might be sat at home thinking I'd like to reach out, but understandably might be a bit nervous. Um, and I'm thinking as well, is there anything, how can we help raise awareness of this then? Is there anything that the general public can be doing? How can people support you as an organisation? Yeah, that's a really good question. So we have an awareness poster on the website that can, people right. can download um, okay. and, and put up at the local community centre, doctors. That's a really simple, easy way to yes. raise awareness yep. and it's really, really important. Um, and, you know, fundraising is is so, so difficult for small charities. Yes. And, yep. you know, we are in a unique time of our services are overwhelmed. Yes, the Matt Goss thing was a factor into that. But another big factor is the breakdown of the NHS and how difficult general treatment is for people and the knock-on effect of that on people that have a rare disease that were already in isolation and having difficulty is also, yes. you know, really yes. maxing out the services that we can offer um, and you know we do need ongoing fundraising support to help that and um, we need to train up a lot of volunteers to be able to offer this level of compassionate support that me and a small number have done up to this point it, that needs to grow now um, and you know anyone that really enjoyed Matt Goss we would love you know if they all donated a pound we would be able to make such a difference to this community that you wouldn't believe and you know it's wonderful the awareness that was raised but there was no increase in donations related to that awareness raise that's good to get across isn't it that yes in order to be able to do this great work you need to be supported to do it one of the things you have on your website actually is the way that people can do that so if there's anyone listening that thinks actually yeah I'd like to donate I'd like to do what can they do how can they do that for you so on the home page there's a really simple button which links you through to a just giving donation place so please just visit the website pip-uk.org there will be a button there for that we do have a page about how to donate if that's not your jam you can do a bank transfer you can send a check you know all the the different ways um, to donate really but the easiest way is that button on the website and it makes a difference so if you didn't have an increase in donations let's put that out there <laughs> what would you like to do what does the next six months look like what would you like it to to look like for you 
So we have a really strong dream for the organisation. You know, this clinic at Birmingham Children's Hospital is fantastic. Yeah, yeah uh, I was reading about that. Yeah, but it's not funded. We're not supported to go and support the families there. Right. So at the moment, we're relying on community fundraising to enable us to go along there and support the families and get their appointments sorted out for them and everything. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it is only in Birmingham and we support people across the UK. Our dream is that we would have more than one of those clinics and it would be in different places in the UK. Yes. Yeah. On top of that, that we could have an adult clinic because there is no specialised service for adults. We've still got no specialist doctors and there is a massive need for some specialised Poland syndrome services for them. Yes. We've got a successful clinic going. We're trying to evaluate it now. So we're building a model that can be taken to other places. So if any medical professionals are listening, healthcare professionals that would be interested in learning from that model, you know, we might be one of the only new NHS services built during a pandemic, I think. Um, yes. Get out there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And they're building an innovative model of multidisciplinary team clinics in Birmingham Children's Hospital around this. And there's a lot to learn that, that others could take to other absolutely. areas. It's, it is quite astounding. So maybe as a kind of a lay person who's new to, to Poland syndrome, mm. that there are already specialised clinics for this, looking at how many people have this condition. Um, so, you know, ideally what you're looking for is, you know, fundraising donations to help you guys do the great work you do, but also the newer thing is those clinics, but also people that may host or look at setting them up, whatever that is, who could even perhaps even just have a chat. Somebody might be listening now on a train with their headphones on that is a medic that might know someone else and go, ah, hang yeah. on, I'm going to talk to them about it. And is there anything we could help them with in order to make them just have that conversation or just to think about this and wondering you know what what could you tell them about the difference they could make for someone if we could have more of these clinics around the country and the adult ones particularly yeah I mean there's so much difference they they could make to people and um, you know there's a large cohort of adults in isolation pain and misery right. from either um, knock-on effects of pain of the condition or in ladies cases yes. what's happened with implants and surgeries beyond um, and to be able to just turn up to an appointment at the hospital and not have the burden of explanation of what the Sone syndrome is to begin with that would make an incredible really difference to my life. that one moment of no longer having that burden as you walk in the room and someone to consider their whole body and their whole condition and not just one part of them would um, be absolutely life-changing to each person that walks in that room and I'm getting emotional because you know it sounds big and maybe it sounds exaggerated to some people but it's not I know a many yes. number of people that it would really change their life to walk into that room and not have that burden of explanation and someone that's there for the whole of them. Absolutely. Do you know what I always say? Every guest that comes on, I'm so honoured because everybody has a, a backstory, which is usually what gets people involved in certain areas and coping with adversity. So that emotion, I'm hoping that people really hear that um because I think that's sometimes what helps create that difference you really you know stepping outside your comfort zone today coming on here sharing your lived experience 
sharing the amazing work that you do. Most of it is, you know, just from the heart, isn't it? You're doing this because you want to make a difference. So somebody listening might have the power, the ability or the connections to start to make some more of this dream happen. And absolutely, when we're thinking about this condition, it's not just the psychological effects, the physical effects. There's so much else tied up. Um, and the work you can do can really make a difference. It really can. Um, and I'm thinking, so somebody might also be sitting here thinking, well, how can I find out more about you? And they might be on the go, listen to a podcast or maybe just seeing the odd tweet. Where can people find you? Where do they need to be heading? We will put these in the show notes as well. So people can click straight on them. But anyone listening who wants to hear, where would they need to go? So I've already mentioned the website, but we're also on Instagram and Facebook, TikTok for our sins. So we're we're well around um, the social media platforms, also LinkedIn as well for any professionals that want to connect to us. So yeah, um, we cover all of those um, inboxes. So you can reach out to us on those platforms too. So I'll make sure that I put all of those in show notes as well as the website and maybe just a direct link to your donate page as well. Just two things that just didn't quite come out was that um, this year we started a Poland Syndrome Community Register to securely start collecting the symptom and quality of life data of our community. What a great idea. Yeah, so we're really looking for um, research professionals to come and help us on research priorities which are to look at surgery outcomes and also aging with Poland syndrome so if anyone's listening that's in um, a university or a research position and um, we would love to talk to you about that we have nearly 200 en- engagements with that 200 completed surveys ready for people to analyze and read um, it is golden data you don't get that many people engaging in rare disease data mm-hmm. ordinarily Yes. So anyone that wants to help us out and get some research off the ground based on that data, we would really welcome them getting in touch. I'll make sure I also put that in our show notes, actually, Mm. in terms of what we're looking for, because somebody may just see that and that make the difference as well. Yeah, absolutely. It is. Yeah. And then the other key thing I missed was that um, the NHS has stopped funding any kind of surgery related to ladies that had implants when they were teenagers. Right. And so we have a real current issue and that is causing big problems for our ladies. And we don't really know what to do with it yet, apart from support them and challenge each individual case. But we have instances where ladies were given implants when they were 14 to 16, now causing them real issues. And the NHS has changed its guidelines and saying that that's cosmetic and they can't do anything to help them, even if they're in pain and it needs replacement. Yeah. So again, anyone's listening who works in a field or who has any way that they could support you to tackle this, you know, kind of, from the ground up, you know, real cold shift in how these women particularly are supported. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm going to put both of those things um, in the show notes as well for people because sometimes just seeing it visually make a difference. So I always ask every guest for what I call my signature move. If there was one piece of advice, one adversity takeaway that you could leave us with, what would that be? So that this is more a personal one than a, a Poland syndrome, really. But um, in overcoming challenges with Poland syndrome, this community, running this organisation, I always come back to 
the answer you're looking for is within you. Yeah. Somewhere else, it's within yeah. you. And if you can find some peace to find that answer, then you can overcome anything. Absolutely. And I'm wondering whether many, many people listening might find that answer via you guys and the amazing amazing work that you do I know this has been a, a big thing for you today because I can see you on camera but people won't when they're listening um that I'm so so honored I can't say that enough that you've come on but just shared your personal journey which is behind everything that you do which is why I'm just going to keep saying keep saying if anyone can support the work that you guys do in any way whether it's financially whether it's by connecting you with medics anybody who can help get your message out there help you set up the infrastructure that you need let's get that done get it out on Twitter we'll get people sharing as well because I would just as soon as I'm so I'm grateful my friend who listens to my podcast I have her to thank because because she's the one that tagged me in to something that was on Twitter about you. And I just thought, wow, if I can do a little something to help get this out there, then really want you guys to be able to do the work that you want to be able to do with people and carry on the work you're already doing as well. So Sam, thank you so, so much for coming on. I really appreciate your time. Um, and with most guests, I've said, I'd love to have you back on again maybe an update of what's happening and maybe because there is so much to cover in one episode maybe we could do some smaller episodes about different elements of Poland syndrome as well because what I don't want to do with this podcast is make it tokenistic where we just have one thing can't just talk about it in 40 minutes so we need to do it properly you know so we'll get you back on and maybe we'll do an episode maybe looking at the physical side and maybe another one on the emotional health side as well but thank you so so much thank you thank you very much Thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Psychologist podcast. It's so lovely to have you here. I'm Dr. Tara Quintrarillo and you can find me at drtara.co.uk. You'll see everything I'm up to, free resources, my media work and my new COVID recovery clinic as well. Remember to please rate and review my podcast. It really helps people to benefit from the narratives of overcoming adversity if they know where to find us. The Adversity Psychologist podcast, helping you step at a time.